Good morning. It's Wednesday, May 20th, 2015. I can't believe I'm sitting here with you and May is almost over. Let's not freak out about that, okay? Let's not make that a big deal. We're just going to move right along because we have a lot of show to get into, and I feel like we need to do that since we didn't do a proper show yesterday. Uh, And there's some really interesting headlines, including some important security news that we need to get into right away at the top of the show. Uh, So let's bring in the Mumble Room. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. 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 Greetings. Good morning. Hello. Hey, guys. Hello. So um, guess what? Surprise, surprise. Another vulnerability has been discovered in many of our routers that we have at home, those real basic consumer routers. It's in the net USB driver, and it's exposing basically millions of different models of routers because almost every manufacturer includes a little something, something like this. The vulnerability is located in that net USB area, which lets devices connect over USB to a computer and then be shared with other machines on the local network. Uh, The shared devices can be printers, webcams, thumb drives, external hard drives, anything you might want to plug into your router and then make it available on the network. You know, you guys have seen these routers shipped with these USB ports for years now. NetUSB is actually implemented at the Linux kernel level. So uh, it's a driver that's at the kernel level that's been developed by uh, the Tuan... (laughs) Taiwan-based K-Codes technology. Once it's enabled, it opens up a server on the router that listens at TCP port... 2005, or 20,005, I guess, for listening clients. Security researchers uh, from a company called Sec Consult found that if a connecting computer has a name longer than 64 characters, that's all we need, is a computer name longer than 64 characters, a stack buffer overflow is triggered in the net USB device, and of course, you can execute a denial of service attack, etc. Many vendors integrate the net USB into their products, but they call it different things, so it's a little bit harder to catch. Um, for example, Netgear calls it the ready share feature. Others call it print sharing or USB sharing. So it's a little hard to track down, but it's in TP-Link models, it's in uh, Linksys models, it's in Netgear models. Um, researchers found references to 26 vendors in the NetUSB INF client driver for Windows. So they believe many other vendors might also have vulnerable products. So this is kind of a, an important one because all it takes is a computer with more than a 64-character long name. <laughs> <laughs> and, then it's, and then you're screwed. <laughs> Net you. When are we? What? Okay. So you know why Chris cares about this? Honestly, is because none of us are surprised by these kinds of things anymore. The reason why Chris cares is because this is a harbinger of our doom. This is going to be a problem that multiplies and becomes. We have these things everywhere, and we're installing more of them all of the time. I have one in my studio right now. It's not a router. It's a Hughes Light controller. But it runs a firmware. It needs updated. It listens on my network for remote connections and executes commands. It has an API available. And we are putting hundreds of these in our homes. And we do not have this problem solved. And we are still dealing with the last generation of these types of devices we put in our homes, which we still have not solved. I don't think it will be that big of a problem. I think think it is a huge problem, more so in the routers. Not so much. We'll see about the Internet of Things devices. But you know what is a – you know what we are seeing on TechSnap a lot is what's happening now is computing usage is shifting from the desktop to the mobile device for a lot of average consumers. A lot of average consumers that would normally get bit by malware or bit by like a browser toolbar or bit by like an attachment on a Windows box. They're no longer having these problems because they're reading on their phone, their tablet, their Chromebook, whatever. And so it's less and less of an issue. And so you think, oh, good. 
Now they're not going to get as attacked as much. Now they're not going to be exploited as much. Now they're not going to be as tricked as much. Wrong. Wrong. Because the, the bad guys, they just change tactics. Now they're going after these routers and they're affecting the DNS servers on these routers and they're just redirecting every single device's browser session on your entire network to their, to their landing page where they're fishing your login information and things like that for banks. Right? So now, because they can't go after you one machine directly, they're now going after these Internet of Things types devices that we have on our network that are sitting there waiting to deceive us, waiting to be taken advantage of, waiting for somebody to exploit them for bad uses because we're not properly updating them because we haven't figured that out yet and so they redirect the dns on somebody's phone and now they're capturing your bank login information and you have no idea and meanwhile you think you're completely protected from malware because you're on your super safe device that every app's been audited by the big scary company that makes sure it goes in there before they go in the app store so you're fine nothing to worry about you have no idea your dns is being hijacked because you haven't patched your router for two years so i think it is a pretty big deal because it's happening the thing is Every single vulnerability stacks. Every single issue stacks. They all stack. They all become a chain that can be exploited. Every time we have a net USB or a universal plug-and-play issue or a remote packet execution by a weird uh, encoded character in a, in a network packet, every time we have these kinds of problems, man, they all stack on top of each other, and they make these things even more of a disaster. So I agree. On one issue by itself, not that big of a deal. Yeah, it sucks. But- oh, no. Not even that. It's just the way I see at this situation overall is that, okay, there is this device and we're using many devices and yes, it makes the area of vulnerability bigger. Right, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. The, the assessment, the risk assessment is definitely big. However, I see that the routers are becoming, um, there, there's like two stages to this. One is either the companies of the routers, which often is the ISP in many cases for most common users. Uh, do the update and are responsible for the update. In those cases, most people are discontent because they are now having the access to the router anytime remotely. This was actually a problem in Portugal and they had to yeah, stop yeah. that behavior, for example. Or uh, what I think which is actually more likely is people are not going to be connecting to these routers as frequently because nowadays that internet access can happen everywhere at any time. So you think they're going to go I mean, cellular, just for the example. Public Wi-Fi. I think it, they will go either cellular or there will be actually another device, which is like the, huh. your privacy device yeah. huh. type thing. The Freedom Box scenario, where yeah. you have this little thing that it's, it's a complete computer. It also routes, but it does more than that. It makes sure that your traffic goes through Tor. It makes sure that you yeah. have your email right. and so on and so forth. And yeah. I think they will become more prevalent. And so by consequence, the router won't be a big a problem like that's interesting. That is an interesting way to – basically what you're saying is in a sense the market will respond in a way that sort of compensates and maybe is a better solution overall long term because you'll have a trusted device that you communicate with and things like that. That's interesting. Yeah, but I think that it's, it's even something that it's being done for other reasons and this will just be a side benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Hmm. All right. So uh, let's shift gears and I, I don't know what to make of Google+. Plus. But I do know that Google I.O. is near, and I bet we're going to find out more, and we're getting some hints. Google, I think one of the best features, everybody knows Hangouts is a great feature of G+. But I think the feature that I appreciate the most is actually Google Photos. And I'm surprised because I'm a bit of a privacy nut, but at the same time, it's so damn reliable. Like, I just take pictures on my phone, and it, uh, it just backs them up. I can take them across multiple Android devices. They all go to the same place. They all share the same library. I like the auto highlights feature because I'm not a very good photographer and camera phones suck. All these things are great, and I actually think it's one of Google's best products. Apparently, Google agrees, and it looks like we are going to finally see the standalone Google Photos product break out from G+. Plus at Google Google I.O. this year. 
The new photo tool doesn't necessarily have a name yet, but it'll let users post images from that service to Facebook, Twitter, and other services. So Google's going to allow you to upload to one place and then post to the other social media places, according to this report at Bloomberg. Uh, They're going to give developers more information at Google I.O. later this month. um, Or is that next month? But uh, they think... This is Bloomberg that busting photos out would give Google more freedom to take on rivals directly like Facebook and Instagram. And wouldn't it be interesting since Instagram has been blowing up? Instagram's grown like crazy. Instagram's making Twitter look look over there and going, what is going on? And it's really making Facebook's – remember, Facebook bought Instagram. It's making it look like a smart bet. Uh, They grow more to, to more than 300 million users recently. And so Google's looking at that and going, oh, oh, well, maybe we want to do that. Uh, I don't know if this would necessarily mean the the, uh, the death of G+, but uh, Corky, have you ever tried Google Plus photo backups? Have you, are, would you use something like this? Uh, or Heavens or uh, Daredevil? Would you guys use a, a, a Google photo backup service? I, I wouldn't use necessarily as a backup service, but I can definitely see that uh, what Google has been doing is, since the Google Plus came up, is picking up all ideas that Diaspora was trying to do and doing them slightly better. Huh, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to put it. I uh... Look at Circles, for example. Circles is pretty much Diaspora aspects. Yeah. Just in yeah. Google Plus, made first, quickly, and actually better implemented than in Diaspora. That's what it is. Yeah, it's, it is, it's the redoing Picasso, too, bit by bit in a better way. Um, I hope they actually name it Picasso. Wouldn't that be funny? That'd be kind of a Microsoft <laughs> move, though. I don't know. I mean, uh, Google already doesn't care about you know the names of things. They're already taking names of other things that were a failure and then trying to rebrand them like Blink. Yeah. So if they take their own failure and re- use that name to make something better, I think that would be pretty pretty awesome. Hmm. There's um there is a there is some other services out there that uh, do this that might get re- Picture Life uh, just recently got acquired and Picture Life is uh it's it it has some auto awesome like features and it also has like some memory type features where like this is an event that happened and you can look at this event uh, all together in one thing and you can zoom out and look at your entire photo. Um, timeline and it does like a, a lot of nice features and it automatically backs up your photos for you and it uh, like it, it'll you can go and show me all the photos I took in this location and so picture life is uh, sort of like what Google Photos does but it is this is all they do they uh, don't do anything else they um, and I don't know how I don't know if that's a sustainable business for them or not but if you are concerned about Google and privacy, but you want something that's automatically backing up your photos that does some automatic organization for you using, you know, photo recognition and face detection and time and, and location uh, and figuring it all out, Picture Life, PictureLife.com, uh, will do that. If this, then that, uh, you think uh, Rotten Corpse is a better way to go? Yeah, well, just because it's got it's got the same kind of. Uh, uh, services that this new Google thing seems listing that oh, yeah. has to have like send pictures or stuff. Yeah. But you can also set up to do like to connect to your Android phone so that when you take a photo, you can make it do things. So like send it to your Dropbox or, you know, basically anything you want that if supports. Oh, so that's you nice. can make it automatically back up like every 15 minutes, just, yeah. you know, just with if we don't need an extra service. Right. And with if they don't really keep track, they don't keep track of anything. It just goes where you want it to go. Yeah, but also remind remind you guys just get enough users on that company and Google buys it. Yeah, that's true, right? That's a good way to put it. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm gonna keep an eye out and see where they go with this though, and we'll talk more more about Google I/O when it's uh, when it's here. It's. And I wonder. 
It's a good service. I wonder what Microsoft reaction is on that social network. They have an experimental social network. And I haven't heard much about that, and I'm not sure what they're trying to do with that. No, but, you uh, know, I actually think, micro- I think Microsoft's play here is a little more subtle and a little smarter. I think Google's play here is clumsy and sort of um, – and uh, not juvenile, but um, what is it when you're a teenager? What do you call that? When you, oh, you're a teenager. Yeah, they're acting like a, I think they're acting like a teenager, where they think they can come in there and do it better than anybody else. They think you know they're gonna they have uh, where I think I think where Microsoft is actually acting more with some maturity here in the uh, in the um, social mar- um, social media. They are instead, you know, they have for years now built extremely close relationships with Facebook. But even really before Facebook was like the undisputed champion, like it was a clear winner, but uh, not undisputed. And remember like, uh, what was it, like five or six years ago, they, they wrote him a check for like a billion bucks. Microsoft wrote, before Facebook even went public, they wrote Facebook a check for a billion. And now Microsoft owns some stock since they went public. Like Microsoft has been playing real low key with Facebook for a while. And you'll notice whenever Microsoft has any social media integration, Facebook is front and center in in it it's it's like the windows phone facebook you know everything's got they got facebook baked into everything that whenever they do social media because they've always had this partnership with uh with them but i think i think this has always been i mean the the transition from the platform microsoft to the microsoft of the old days where they just make good software for other platforms Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, i guess that's the transition that is eventually happening yeah. But when when you when I was like mentioning social networks, I'm even talking about that specific one that they built There's, and apparently yeah. has users. Yeah. I never thought it would actually could c- catch on and have users, but they're going with the original Facebook approach, as far as I know, which is like get schools to participate and create like this school environment. Actually, just retain that market, mm-hmm. not going to oh everyone everything. You can register, but focus on that market, which. It's always a flourishing market. I mean, you have always new students. Yeah, that's true. And people are, yeah. Uh, it's, and it's a market that with a lot of buzz. Uh, I, I, speaking of buzz, <laughs> did you guys hear about Google Tone? Uh, Google Tone is a Chrome extension for sharing the URLs that you're currently at with computers around you via sound. Um, like the Stuxnet virus uh, jumping the air gap, Google has created an extension that will jump the air gap between your computers. Here, I'll, I'll play a little video. This is, this, is, this is very funny. It's called Google Tone, and it's not April Fool's. This is a real thing. You can go get it right now. It's, it is available. That's the tone from one browser, and then the other browsers fall down that page. Just a Google Chrome extension available right now. So uh, what it does, so what Google Tone is doing is uh, it's encoding a short URL with that tone. And then the other computers have to have the microphone listening. And then when they pick up that tone, they decode that URL. They go fetch that URL from the Google Tone push server, and then they open up that web page in your browser. I just Oh, I, nice reason to have your mic working now he's <laughs> listening. I, is that, I, I actually could find some uses for that, like a classroom. This could be very useful in a classroom. I could see yeah, that. You could yeah, it like push bullet. Push bullet would also do the same thing where you could send it, send a message or a URL to all devices at the same time. I wonder if you would be able to do this like over a phone. Like, could you have like somebody like hold up the phone, put it on speakerphone or something, 
<laughs> and then the people that you're having a phone conference with have their browsers all open up to the same meeting presentation page so you can all just start the presentation. It might just be a really, oh man, tech, think about tech support. How many times have you been trying to get somebody to go to the tech support URL so you can do a remote desktop session and they cannot figure out the freaking URL, they don't see where they're supposed to enter the code, and it's so frustrating, and you just want to reach through the phone and type for them, now you could play this tone. And maybe it opened up their computer. Like You're like, uh, excuse me, sir, could you just hold the phone up to your computer's microphone for a second? Uh, Heavens, you tried it. What would you think? Well, it actually doesn't work yet. Oh. Even though you have to <laughs> enable the experimental JavaScript uh, extension flag in your about flags, Woo! it does actually broadcast and it does receive. But apparently the tab doesn't change URLs. There's also something that's almost exactly like it that came out yesterday, too. It's called oh. Chirp, and it actually does work. Oh, really? It oh, sends geez. URLs. Chirp, huh? Here, this is what, uh, what the heck? This is what the tone sounds like. They'll buy it. So, let's see. Uh, send pictures or text from Chrome to Chirp app. So this yeah, is... it actually works. Huh. Here, this is what it sounds like. Okay. Oh, that's cute. Did you hear that? Yeah, that's cute. I like that. It's very high-pitched. But it actually can send stuff from your computer to your phone, but it doesn't send from the phone to the computer yet. That is interesting. And it does work. <laughs> and the, so the one nice thing about this is I guess you don't really have to have anything set up or any software. So it's from Crowd. Is it uh, ch- uh, chirp.io? Is that where you got it? Does that sound right? Yes, that's the one. All right, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's really cool. Uh, Wow. It's interesting how two of the same, like almost exactly same technology, or at least method of broadcasting URLs came out in a day. I think, I think, I mean, this is just my theory, but maybe they both got started around the same time because uh, it was like a year ago that we were two, we were breaking, I can't remember now, that uh, we were talking about how... Stuxnet infected the Iranian centrifuges by jumping an air gap by using sound to transmit part of a stub of the Stuxnet virus to a remote system that wasn't connected to the Internet or connected to any networks. They used sound to transfer it. And I remember Al and I talking about that and going, wow, that's really neat. And then, you know, you got to wonder, maybe some other guy went, "Mm, wow, that's really neat. I could build that. Maybe. Maybe they were inspired by the Stuxnet stuff. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm romanticizing. I would be surprised, actually. It, it, it seems, seems possible. You're pretty good doing that. Uh, well, all right. I mean, just to be a quick clarification, yeah. this uh, Chirpio thing didn't start yesterday. It just well, yeah, got yeah. popularity yesterday. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's been released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't just develop it yesterday. Uh, all right, so you guys no, know. I mean, it's like, as far as launching, it's been, it's been out for a couple months. It just started getting attention yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> follow you. You guys know about Popcorn Hour and the uh, standalone app. That's one thing. But you know what always makes things better when you can put in a web browser? Uh, so you can now use Popcorn Hour right into the web browser. It works, and it uh, – here, let's try it. I'll just show you. I mean, for I'm, I don't actually – I'm not pirating movies, but this is just to show the audience. So let's see. Here's the popcorn. Right now it's popcorn on your browser.net. By the way, real quick caveat. First of all, it's probably not legal in your area if you didn't know that. Second of all um, – there is some fake Popcorn Hour websites going on around right now that are spreading malware. And I have, a, I have a discussion thread about that in the show notes. So if you're going to do this, protect yourselves and read that thread because – especially if you're on a Windows machine. Uh, but let, you know, they have Star Trek on here. Let's see. Star Trek? Yeah. OK. So there's Star Trek. So you type in Star Trek and then uh, let's say you want to watch The Wrath of Khan. 
it immediately, and that can't be a super popular movie right now, right? I mean, I just, I mean, I didn't even pick one on the li- on the front page of the list. I just searched for Star Trek: Wrath of Khan, and it, now it is beginning to torrent the file for me. And then it will then feed that file into the HTML5 playback of my web browser. So I don't even have to launch another program. It just begins to play Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, from a torrent file live in my web browser in a tab. And I could go full screen if I want. I could right-click Save As. I mean, it is kind of remarkable. And it's, Did I I'm, mention I love JavaScript? <laughs> and so right now it says waiting for Buffer to fill. I might actually be able to hit play, though. I don't know. Because um, you can – that's one of the amazing things about Popcorn Hour is you can start playing it while it's still torrenting the file. You guys all probably know this. But when you combine it with your web browser, yes, so it's not working yet. And it depends too on the popularity. The more seeds, the faster you build to start it. I don't need to go from there. I don't need to actually start the video. But you guys uh, get the idea. Um, you could, you could, Wes Jeff. The, yeah, absolutely. You could get a letter from your ISP if you do this. So it's going to be different depending on your region. Um, and there's probably – my my general take is if if you need to pirate it, then just don't watch it, and then watch. There's plenty of content out there that's free. Uh, but if you do want to get into it, make sure you read that thread that I've linked in the show notes, so that way you guys don't get bit by the the malware going around. All right, before I run, I first of all wanted to thank the 495 patrons over patreon.com slash today. We did a little plug on social media over the weekend, and uh, we got some great responses. Very thankful too. Um, well, here we are. We're sort of like post-Linux Fest Northwest, and I'm a little sad. I really, really wanted to make it to Self this year because I've been told it's a great party, but we've decided just – we kind of overextended on Linux Fest Northwest. Uh, we've decided we're not going to – we're not broken, but we probably would be if I went – if I went to Self, we, we think it's going to be around fifteen to $1,600 once you factor in hotel, travel cost, and um, like food and things like that. We just, we're just not there yet. But I, on the other hand, I'm, I'm very thankful that we were able to have such a big party we did at Linux Fest Northwest and bring as much of the crew out and all of that. And it was really enabled by our patrons. So we're still going to have a crew at Self, Noah and Q5, and perhaps Mr. Rotten Corpse and others will be down there at uh, Self uh, in, in June. And we have uh, a meetup already set up at meetup.com slash Broadcasting if you want to go to that. And I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at least in a position where maybe I can't go right now, but I'm going to be able to help them out a little bit. So help out some of the crew that can go. And so, you know, maybe help out with the room a little bit or whatever we can do. Angela and I are still working that out. But it is so nice to just even be in that position. And, you know, we're still learning as we go. And it's it's awesome because we're, we're, we're able to grow and expand continuously. Sometimes we make these huge leaps and have to just retract a little bit. But even in this moment when we're retracting just a little bit, we are still able to take several new important steps forward that I think are really great, like helping the crew out with some of the costs and getting some additional equipment out there to give us even better on-location coverage, even though I can't make it there myself. All of that's possible because of our patrons. And the more Patreons we get, the more we're going to be able to do. So as that number goes up, the next time I will be able to go, right? And then we're going to be able to blow it out even more. And we will just continue to scale our coverage up as our patrons scale up. So you can help out the network over at patreon.com slash today. And also, not only are you helping us, but you get access to exclusive content from time to time in our activity feed, patreon.com slash today. Thank you, guys. Now, I don't have a great video today to end the show with, but I do have a classic memory video. It's not a technology-related one. And I don't think we've played uh, – guys, we haven't done the uh, Grinch. No, not the Grinch. We did the Grinch. Have we done uh, the vintage uh, Gremlins cereal commercial yet? Uh, did you guys ever eat Gremlins cereal? This might be dating myself. No. I don't know if I should – I might uh, – You're up here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, good, good. We brand everything. Yeah, right. Good. Good, good. That makes me feel better. All right, so I'm going to leave you with this. It does make me feel a little old, and maybe you'll remember this. We'll feel old together. It is a vintage 
cartoon commercial that came on right during Saturday cartoons, just perfect and nailed us kids and made us desperately want what was undoubtedly the best breakfast ever. See you back here tomorrow, everybody. JBLive.tv at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, and techtalktoday.reddit.com. Thanks for being here. See you Are then. you hungry? Hungry as a gremlin? Here's gremlin cereal. Gremlins, gremlins, bite after bite. What a tasty way to satisfy a gremlin appetite. Gremlins is a deliciously sweet, crunchy cereal that satisfies the hungry little gremlin. That's in all of us. Gremlins, gremlins. Gremlin cereal is part of this complete breakfast. Gremlin! Yum yum!